and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm JB. Yeah, so if you listen to last week's episode, you know that Jude is currently on a hiatus, so I am fortunate that I got to bring on a real good friend of mine, somebody who is a really talented writer and has made it a personal mission to get me to mi- watch all the important films I've missed out on. <laughs> I'm very excited to welcome JB. How you doing, man? Good. It's excellent to be here. I have big yeah. shoes to fill. I love Jude <laughs> on this show. So, uh, but I'm 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 psyched, man. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad that you you decided to come in on this. We're definitely gonna have to get you back on with Jude as well because I know he's he's definitely got more of the comic brain than I do, mm. and I know he'd love going back and forth with comic knowledge with you. I was just talking to you, like listening to previous podcasts. I was just like talking along with you. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> Well, you know, Jude, actually, that was uh, <laughs> issue number 47. I, yeah, <laughs> so what we're finding out is that JB has been the third co-host this entire time. We just never got your audio recorded for it. <laughs> uh-huh. In my mind. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, I brought you in on this episode. If, if you've read the title, we're going to be looking into the character of Moon Knight today. Um but before we get to the meat of the episode, I thought it'd be cool if we could just, you know, discuss your connection to you know, Marvel and the MCU a little bit. I'd love to. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. What what got you into it? So I'm a little bit older than mm-hmm. you are. <laughs> and so I started, when, generally when I started reading comics, I was probably six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I even really knew like what a writer was or the fact that someone sat down and made these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know you could like socially say like, Oh, you know, here's a story I made up. So I would, I'd be telling kids that I had dreams, but they were lies. I was not dreaming. <laughs> these things. Uh, I was, and they were usually about Spider-Man, like, mm-hmm. you know, to like my earliest stories were like, yeah, I had this dream about Spider-Man fighting Doc Ock. And, but I, I was just making it up as I was going along <laughs> because I, <didn't, laughs> I know how else to present a story to peers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marvel has been part of my like writer DNA from literally as long as I can remember. That's amazing. Um, uh, so the comics were, they used to be in grocery stores and spinner racks and maybe in some places they still are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, my mom would buy groceries. I'd sit down on the floor of the grocery store and read comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, comics I was connected to from a very, very early age. And for me, the Marvel entered the movie world um, with uh, Raimi's first Spider-Man. Yeah. I think most, uh, my experience with Raimi's Spider-Man was similar to a lot of uh, younger people's experience with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it was like, oh my God, these are you know iconic characters on the screen You know, I've been reading about. I'm going to hear Peter Parker speak. It was a, yeah. a big deal. Um, and those movies, especially the first one, is still, I think, fantastic. I still remember going to the theater to see that one. Like, it was such a huge moment uh, for me personally, like, yeah, we, we had the cartoons, but like seeing Spider-Man on the big screen was huge. I can only imagine following it from as young as you were. And even, you know, if you remember just like the, uh, the big standees that they'd have in the theater with, you know, Spidey with like the webs crossing between them was like, that's an iconic memory for me, even just seeing that. in the Yeah. Um, so by the time Iron Man came out, I'm trying to like speed things up because <laughs> uh, I'm a long-winded mofo, as you know, Trey. Oh, um, you're totally fine. <laughs> look, look, here we're we've, we're known to go on tangents and, and long long-winded stories. We're, you're perfectly at home. Oh well, thank you. Well, I, I 
I coached myself, you know, I'm going to get this uh, tight. <laughs> uh, so by the time Iron Man came around, I was a little bit uh, educated on film. I think I'd had like a, maybe a college 101 film course. So I was, you know, pretentious. And uh, <laughs> uh, so sitting in the theater watching Iron Man, I remember being a very tense experience. Mm-hmm. It was like I was watching for flaws, like my writer brain and my little baby movie critic brain were both just like assessing every moment of that movie. Probably the point that I could have enjoyed it so much more if I just let all that stuff go. Um, <laughs> but I distinctly remember that final moment when he says, I am Iron Man, my entire body relaxed. And it was like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like they Marvel is in charge. They pulled this off. RDJ is Iron Man. And it felt, it really did. It felt like even before the post credits tag, it felt like a new beginning. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was overjoyed. And honestly, I've been very lightly critical of Marvel ever since. <laughs> like, <laughs> they won you over from the get go. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Cause you know, the Spider-Man had gone awry. I guess I, the, the Spider-Man sequels had gone awry a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we had been, you know, a little bit, my generation, I think, had been a little bit let down, maybe. You know? like yeah. We were watching I, the Batmanization of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I, I totally understand that feeling because I remember, Jude and I talked about this. I believe Spider-Man 3 was right around the time that Iron Man was coming out or, or close enough. I remember seeing the Iron Man trailer and being so snake-bitten from Spider-Man 3 <laughs> that I was like, eh, I don't really think I'm going to yeah. get into that. And then <laughs> here I am over 10 years later. Yeah, exactly. They want they want us back, man. They know who we are. <laughs> but Snake Bit is a good, yeah. Like that's basically it. Like when when I sat down to watch Iron Man, I was Snake Bit. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, here's here's I'm gonna just I'm gonna and I wanted it to be. I didn't. I wasn't cynical about it. Like I really and it was because I so badly wanted it to be good. Yeah. And to replicate the experience of seeing that first Spider Man that I was so critical of it. And then, like mm-hmm. I said, like I, I really do. I remember just relaxing in my theater chair. You know, and being like, oh, wow. And then I was a you know, ball of energy for, for weeks after. So I'm curious, you, you know, you mentioned that whenever he has the line, I am Iron Man, you relaxed. What was that feeling at the Nick Fury reveal? Oh, just pure joy. <laughs> just, and it, yeah, just like a 12-year-old JB had completely taken over my consciousness by that point. I was nothing but just a a little bubble of energy and excitement. I was, you know, we're, we're all writers. So we, when we, you know, we all jump off from these points. So I was mm-hmm. already going like, Oh, you know, is, is Fury a scroll? Like, cause you know, I was school in the comics. So I already had all these questions. And then I've just been so satisfied with almost all of the answers that Marvel has given me over the years since. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I was like, I, there are probably, you know, I could be far more critical of their work but I'm just not that guy anymore. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just so thankful to have quality, you know, the representations of these characters that I grew to love on the page. Yeah. They definitely have a lot more hits than misses on their track record. I mean, there weren't, there was no Foggy before. Mm-hmm. The Foggy's and the five rows were not there before. Ramy was kind of on his own, I think in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, the executives that came in and represented the fans is like, yeah, that's a, like I'm so appreciative of those guys. Yeah. I want to do a little Wayne's World Not Worthy thing, even just saying by you. <laughs> We're well, not worthy. Jude and I have discovered that 
Kevin Feige is an MCU need to know super fan just based on all the things <laughs> that we've thrown out there that seem to be coming to fruition. Oh uh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> so if you got anything to say to Feige, you know, this is your perfect platform. <laughs> just keep listening to this podcast. Kevin. <laughs> I can call you Kev, right? <laughs> I'll let you know what he says. <laughs> I would love to see your predictions come true. Oh guys, man. That... Yeah, awesome. Our, our ego will, will grow immediately. <laughs> but no, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your connection uh, to Marvel and the MCU. That's really cool. You're welcome. It's, it's a pleasure. So, like I said, uh, we're going to jump into the meat of this episode, which is who is Moon Knight? So I think the best place to start is by starting out with what we know so far, which is, one, it's going to be a Disney Plus series. And then two, I have this quote uh, from uh, discussing the show, which is, quote, while Feige didn't say how the show will handle that specific character element, the Marvel head mentioned adventure movies like Indiana Jones would inspire the series, end quote. So when they're mentioning that specific element, I do believe they are, they're talking about Moon Knight's, uh, I believe, various mental illness. That's about as far as I know. So... I asked you to on here to help guide me through this character. And I think the easiest place to start with that is, you know, what makes Moon Knight tick? Great. Um, it's really interesting, too, to, to bridge those two subjects. Because honestly, and I suspect most Moon Knight fans would agree with me, that pitch for Moon Knight is not the comics Moon Knight. Really? Uh, yeah. The, the, I would never have compared Moon Knight to Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. Like, not once. Um, now, I know... Foggy and Marvel, they're really, I think there's a brilliant move where, you know, every character is basically their own genre, right? Mm -hmm. I know you guys have discussed that before. Right. Um, and I think, you know, this is unexplored territory. The, you know, Indiana Jones adventurer type, mm -hmm. uh, sort of globe hopping adventure hasn't really been done. Nope. Um, so I think that's what they're going to do. Is they're, But he has the elements to fit well, mm -hmm. but it was an interesting approach to the character. And it came from, a, you know, that it came from that approach. Marvel's let's, let's find a genre for this character. Yeah, because everything that I've heard about this character so far is that it's kind of like a Batman brooding type, obviously, with the the, the mental illness um, around, I guess, sort of what makes his character tick. But like you said, it's it, the first thing that doesn't come to mind is Indiana Jones. So it, it, I was right. caught off guard by that. I think most of us were, mm -hmm. but, you know, and I think, again, if you know, you know, Feige's approach, and it's been an incredibly smart approach so far, um, that's where they're coming from. With Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. So he is, um, he, he's a, um, his name is Mark Spector. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a, he's a Jewish kid. His father's a rabbi in Chicago, in the poor side of Chicago. Um, he, his, his life mirrors daredevils in a lot of ways. He's actually a boxer, you know, poor kid. He's kind of ashamed that his father doesn't fight back against uh, anti-Semitic prejudice. You know, mm -hmm. So he and, and Matt have that in common as well. Uh, but then he joins the Marines uh, and he becomes a mercy. He's dishonorably um, discharged from the Marines. Joins the, he becomes a mercenary and sort of a CIA adjacent mercenary mm -hmm. where he has, you know, uh, contacts and he takes contracts from the, FBI, uh, the CIA but he also takes contracts from all kinds of other people. Uh, and he, be, he takes a contract to work with this guy named Raul Bushman, who turns out to be his big bad. 
and they attack a, an archaeological dig, and Bushman kills this scientist, this Dr. Al-Raune, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, and Mark, uh, in sort of his first big display of you know her heroism, attacks Bushman, defends the doctor, and Bushman essentially kills him. He leaves him on the brink of death and leaves him in the desert to die at night. And uh, Mark is taken to the dig site, which is the uh, it's a, a tomb, it's a, a shrine, mm -hmm. a ritualistic shrine to the Egyptian moon god Khonshu. And Mark, laying in front of the Khonshu icon, has an experience, and Khonshu offers to resurrect him in exchange for Mark being his knight, his uh, his knight of vengeance. Mm -hmm. And you know there are a couple of different versions of this. You know he's a character that he was invented in 1975, so he's had lots of different writers on him, and he's he's had a lot of different slight deviations from his origin story. Um, I think it's important to know that Doug Mank, uh, the, the guy that actually first wrote him, uh, does not believe that Conchu is real mm -hmm. and believes that uh, the entire thing, Mark didn't die, that he almost died, but came, you know, was on the brink of death and somehow survived, but that everything happened in his head. Right. Um, and not every writer has gone with that. And that is kind of the big central debate about his character. You know, is he the, uh, a, a vengeance knight for a sort of wrathful god? Or is he a guy with mental illness? And to me, I, that's what's that's crunchy. Yeah, I, already I'm just kind of sitting there, like you don't like even if they were to bring this into the MCU, they don't have to be so definitive with it and leave it this mystery of us guessing whether it is you know some divine intervention or somebody who's plagued by their own uh, you know multiple personalities. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, there are even, you know, questions about, you know, if he does have a, a dissociative identity disorder, when did it start? You know, right, uh, in uh, Jeff Lemire's run, or Lemire, um, he, um, he, he, he posited that it started when he was a boy, when he was a little kid. Uh, and then other people have said it started as a result of his mercenary work. And it was his conscience working on him because he did a lot of dirty work as a mercenary. Mm-hmm. So when he began to disassociate identities is also one of those things that's kind of up in the air. And it's, it's, that's kind of like a theme with Moon Knight because he is one of those characters. He's been around for so long, but he's never been a lead character. You know, he's never, he's had his own books, but they've always been relatively short runs. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's never reached, you know, Spidey or even Daredevil status. Uh, and some of that is because he's hard to pin down. You know, he's, right. he, he does very heroic things, but he also does vicious savage uh, villainous thing it, it almost when you're describing him especially the way that you mentioned him as like a mercenary you know who would be hired on for these jobs the thing that was coming to mind was a more structured punisher because as far as my understanding of punisher is that he's kind of like you know on his own free will doing what he needs to do but it almost feels that same brutal tactics between them from what i was hearing it is and i think like in the modern age particularly starting with uh, Charlie Houston's uh, run in 2006, uh, Moon Knight was uh, sort of moved toward more of a Punisher-type character. Mm -hmm. like they kept the identity issues, and they kept the question of whether or not Khonshu was real. Um, sort of leaning toward the fact that he was real. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of, you know, he's, he has a lot of presence. When he talks to Mark, he mocks him. You know, he's, he's like a demon on Mark's shoulder. Um, but 
Sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, you're totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where was I before? Uh... So we we were talking about whether or not he, um, if it's real, if it's divine intervention, or if it's own. Uh, oh, right, deities. toward the Punisher. Right, 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 right. right, right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of Moon Knight research on this, so my head is spinning. <laughs> <laughs> I threw the Punisher curveball. My apologies. <laughs> no, it's okay because there's a lot there. That's what got mm-hmm. me like tripping it. Um, so yeah, like a lot of writers moved him a little bit more toward the vengeance knight character mm-hmm. where he was like this brutal, uh, you know, dispenser of justice. And he was a lot like Punisher yeah. and that's a completely fair comparison. And that's also why people, he gets, you know, people, uh, refer to him a lot of times as Marvel's crazy Batman. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the, the descriptions I've been seeing on the Marvel subreddits ever since his announcement. But uh, the really interesting stuff to me, and I actually, I think where the MCU is going to go is where Moon Knight crosses into the supernatural. Because well, we've already seen sort of them tiptoeing into it with Black Panther, you know, the the afterlife uh, that they've shown on their, in their movies. So it doesn't seem like a big step to continue exploring more of that side in, in Moon Knight. Yeah, and um, apparently... And this seems to be the sort of, I think, the premier fan theory is that a WandaVision is going to open up that sort of wing of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Doctor Strange did it a little, you know, obviously he that was kind of the first step into the world of the Marvel supernatural. Mm-hmm. But I think WandaVision is really going to break open the floodgates. And I have a feeling whether or not they directly cross over, WandaVision is going to influence a lot of what happens in Moon Knight. And the reason for that is because Moon Knight started out, he was actually, his first comic appearance is in Werewolf by Night, which is, you know, Marvel's werewolf character. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a villain hunting the werewolf. Uh, and in the end, he, you know, learns that the, the, the committee, the shadowy group that he's hunting the uh, werewolf for, are actually the villains and they're going to use the werewolf for evil. So he frees Werewolf by Night and they become a duo for a while. Kind of like an unofficial, you know, super a crime-fighting duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Moon Knight has interactions kind of throughout his his comics life with Mephisto and you know the Marvel's you know you know Mephisto right like Marvel's devil but yeah uh, and a lot of the other supernatural Marvel characters like uh, Ghost Rider mm-hmm. um, there's this whole thing called uh, Midnight Suns which was essentially a group that Doctor Strange put together to fight uh, supernatural villains in the Marvel universe. And it had a couple of different incarnations, but primarily it was Moon Knight, Punisher, Ghost Rider, and Blade. Oh, and we know Blade's coming to the MCU. Man, you're getting me because we, you know, I was just talking about this in the previous episode about how the MCU seems to have their Earth-based sectors to play in with the Avengers. Uh, they explored the space side with the Guardians and and Captain Marvel. Uh, it seems like we're kind of getting even a, a step above that with the Celestials, with the Eternal, the Eternals. And then now it's almost like we're coming even further down to Earth, but with like a horror aspect to it. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I've, I'm a big horror fan and I've been excited for Multiverse of Madness for a long time mm-hmm. um, and sort of tracking it through its troubles, you know? Yeah. Um, but sort of to bring it back to Sam Raimi, I am super excited that he's apparently helming it now. Whenever it was revealed that Scott Derrickson was leaving the Doctor Strange sequel, I remember people were throwing around Sam Raimi as like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing? But it would never happen to replace him. Uh, it's it's crazy to me that we Sam Raimi is getting to helm it. Right. It's, 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 it's just taking me back to like, you know, 
Spider-Man 1 to be in that kid in that theater seeing that <laughs> that standee of the webs crisscrossing. It's all full circle. It really is. Yeah, that was a treat man, to, mm-hmm. to, to watch that. Um, I didn't know it until that Phase 5 reveal. Yeah. I guess it had maybe been leaked before that, but I didn't know it. So when Feige said Sam Raimi, I was like, <laughs> my head exploded for about the third time. That, <laughs> Are you talking about the reveal. Disney Investor Day announcements? Yeah, is that what it was? Where if I use, you know, he made the, he said all of the Phase Five shows that are coming out. And talked Pretty about much, it. yeah, yeah. Because I've been following this all summer, and there's been teases here and there, but this was like from Feige's mouth that is like confirmed. So it's it's exciting. I feel like Jude would have known exactly when that came out. <laughs> so I got to ways. I got I got to get up that Jude Hill. <laughs> so bringing it back to the you know, this question of what makes him tick, you know, you've talked about how there's this divine intervention element to Moon Knight. On a more concrete level, what what are their superpowers? Is it like super strength or is there, what what changes within them after that intervention? So it's interesting because he does actually start out with superpowers. Oh. Um, he's He's got, um, he's got moon dependent superpowers. Uh-huh. Which, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very... I think like mid seventies superpower. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like an inverse of Superman sort of situation going on. It is actually, I didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah, you're right. So when the moon is full, he's at his strongest. And you know, when it's waning, he's, he's not as strong, but Khonshu does imbue him with, you know, superhuman strength and reflexes and, uh, and a high tolerance for, uh, he, he actually has healing abilities when mm-hmm. he first starts, but over the years, those powers are just kind of dropped by writers. And in the modern age, he doesn't have powers. He's just a regular guy. Wow. But he does. One of the things that a lot of people bring up is he has this intense tolerance for pain because of his mental illness. Mm-hmm. He's almost disassociated from his body. So he can take an, a, an intense amount of impact. And he even, as a fighting style, doesn't block. Wow. Yeah. Like they've written him that you know he will just take every punch and every laceration and it just kind of fuels his madness, you know, and he, he kind of goes berserker a bit. But it, he, and because of that reasoning, somebody, I, and I, I don't know who wrote this, uh, but uh, he fought Taskmaster at one point. And, you know, Taskmaster, who we'll see in the, the Widow film coming up, mm-hmm. um, his ability is that he can mimic another fighter's abilities. Right. You know, watch them and like immediately copy them so that they can't defeat him because it's like fighting themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but he could not use Mark Spector's fighting style or he would have died. Wow. Just opening himself up to injury after injury. That and I man. thought that was a, that's cool, right? Like that's. <laughs> yeah. That's such a like a testament to Mark Spector himself. Right. And, and sort of on the flip side of that, he can't be, or he has like a resistance to um, uh, telepathy and mind control. Because of his slippery identity. Oh, man. You're making me really excited for this character. <laughs> <laughs> he fights a guy called the Profiler, and I suspect that they might bring the Profiler in. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a guy whose powers is he can look at someone and sort of like Taskmaster, he just kind of breaks down what their weaknesses are just by looking at them. And can kind of tell you know, all, things about, all kinds of things about their psychology and who they are deep down. And he couldn't get a lock on Mark Spector. It was like fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Because Mark's mind was not stable. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot there, right? It, yeah. It's there's there's a lot of ways. There's a lot to do with this character. Yeah. And it I, feels. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, well, I was just going to say, and I think tying it into, you know, so the question of, you know, is, is he, Ill, how much of it is illness and how much of it is, you know, divine intervention and w what's that mix, but also tying in like werewolves and <laughs> vampires, you know, and bringing him full on into the Marvel supernatural world is just like whipped cream on pancakes. Like <laughs> they've definitely got a lot to play with. And, um, and, and because you and I talked a little bit about this, um, you know, through text, like it, with mental illness and, and that being a major aspect, hopefully it's something that they do take, you know, serious consideration too, and not something that's taken lightly. But if done right, it feels like a wonderful um, playground for these writers to play in. Yeah, I thought a lot about Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. I was first thinking about that. You know, if you're going to approach a mental a character with a mental illness, I think Jessica Jones has probably done it the best. Mm hmm they were really sensitive to her PTSD. Yeah. And Legion is also done. Legion is so trippy that it's a little hard to pin down kind of what Noah Hawley is saying about mental illness, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but there were, but I mean, he was definitely, you know, he was a, a relatable character. Right. And he was a character that I think, you know, at least a big part of him wanted to do good. So I think they've tread some of this ground before. And when the announcement of him being an Indiana Jones type character hit me weird. I started thinking about that and I, you know, it did occur to me, well, they have tread this ground before, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to make Jessica Jones again with Moon Knight. Right. Mm -hmm. They're really focusing on making on the mental illness and making it a stylistic choice and all these things. Um, but they did, you know, if I, did say that his different personalities would, would rep would be represented because I distinct characters, I think mm -hmm. is the words to use. So we're going to see Oscar Isaac playing Mark Spector, uh, Stephen Grant, who is his uh, rich playboy personality, he was basically he invented that to uh, deal with the money. He brought mm -hmm. back all these treasures from Egypt. This is how he's rich. And then Jake Lockley is a cab driver who he invented to sort of pick up street intel. Um, and he has he has these. Jake Lockley mainly is sort of the most social aspect of Mark's personality. He has a, a little crew around him in New York of uh, Frenchie, which is like sort of his Alfred, except younger and. Uh, snootier and uh, <laughs> generally more useful. I think like, Frenchie's a pilot and bails Mark out sort of again and again. Uh, and Charlie Houston made, uh, revealed Frenchie as gay, which I thought was cool. <laughs> he's a, one of those characters. That he's, his sexuality doesn't define him, but it was cool that like, you know, Frenchie's been around since 1975 or 76 or something. So <laughs> it's cool that, you know, that was very, very easily blended into his character. And the, that representation was there. Yeah. Uh, so it, I, I do. I think we'll, we're going to see like gritty New York City cab driving things and jungle globe hopping Indiana Jones type things and supernatural like werewolves and vampires type things. And that is a that is a heady brew. Man. You know, I'm I'm going to skip ahead on on our notes here because I, I feel like this is a good place to ask this. How do you feel about this character getting a show over a movie? Because everything you've described, that like that's a lot to tackle, and it it feels like at least for me the show might be a great place to start with that. I do. I agree. I, I think a, a longer format is perfectly suited to, to Moon Knight and, and Scarlet Witch too. It is you know characters that have been around in the Marvel comics continuity for a really long time that have never been sort of frontline characters, but have all this depth to them and all these different aspects to their character. I think some of them are harder to represent in a 
in a 90 minute movie mm-hmm. than even a character like Iron Man or Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Just because those characters could kind of, you know, uh, Tony and Peter have kind of transcended to where most of the people who write them write them the same. Mm-hmm. Like his identity is, is pretty solid. Whereas a character that has never really seen the spotlight consistently gets all these little neat notes added to them as a character that, you know, 70, 50 years, 60 years down the line, suddenly you've got all this to play with. You know? I'm jealous of uh, Jeremy Slater and the other uh, writers on the show that they really do have got some cool things to play with. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you could fit it into a 90 minute narrative. Whenever they first pitched the Disney Plus series, like way before even Disney Plus launched, I remember being, uh, I was on the fence about the idea, specifically because I think around that time is when the the Netflix Marvel shows became, quote unquote, not canon. And, you know, I wasn't looking forward to maybe another set of series that would someday become, quote unquote, not canon. Um, And they even like, I believe it, it was Feige or somebody at Disney pitched themselves as like, secondary characters were going to be helming these stories. And I remember that rubbed me the wrong way because I didn't like this idea of like Wanda being relegated to a secondary character or Loki or so forth. But as they've revealed more information of what these shows are going to encompass and then hearing the way that you're describing Moon Knight, you know, it really does feel like secondary is not as pejorative as I, I was taking it as much as it's just giving them the chance to flesh out these characters in that long format. Yeah, and I I really do. I think there are some characters that are better suited to Mm -hmm. a longer and more character-centric kind of approach. You know, like you were talking about, I loved your Iron Man 3 podcast. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. And and you were talking about how, you know, they have certain obligations. You know, when you make a 90-minute Marvel movie for theaters, you, know, you want it to be visually spectacular. You want it to be an adventure film. You can't really take. You can't really do a ninety-minute character study. It just doesn't work. Don't mm-hmm. think. I mean, I think you know, we, like the Fantastic Four movie is a good example, which was like a really great character study, but it wasn't enough of an action movie to to fit in that slate mm-hmm. as we know them today. I, mean, I think, yeah, I do. I think some characters, the like the characters that have maybe you know, arguably more complexity to them then some of the marquee characters are better suited for TV. Mm-hmm. And I, love, I say that loving Spider-Man as much as I do Moon Knight. Well, I, I think you you hit on it perfectly when you said that some of these characters have just permeated outside their realm. Like, everybody knows Spider-Man. At this point, everybody knows who Iron Man is. You, you don't have to... I, I don't know if sell is the right word, but you don't have to educate the viewer as long as you would on educating somebody who is completely brand new to them. Mm-hmm. And a little, you know, even, you know, slipperier in terms of like a heroic character. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony has a pretty clean arc. If you see that first movie, you know, he's a weapons manufacturer who doesn't really care who his weapons kill until he learns his lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, he completes that story, story circle. And he comes out a new man. Mm-hmm. But Mark doesn't really fit in that world. You know, Mark Spector is at the end of his arc is still a troubled guy whose personality and his identity is still kind of slipping all over the place. And that that's it's very interesting to me. And I do I do want to say, as far as the is like respecting uh, DID, I don't know that it's fair to even from like a, a clinical standpoint to say that Mark Spector has disassociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, 
Warren Ellis's run really uh, nailed it down for me when he said, uh, you have brain damage. They, he went to, he hired a, a doctor and the doctors like their affiliation is never uh, stated. It's like kind of a mysterious doctor that he privately hired in a moment of lucidity, like a psychologist to really break down what's wrong with his mind. And she says to him, uh, congratulate, you know, you don't have dissociative identity disorder because, and you know, that would, she says, otherwise we would have a rash of soap opera actors putting bags over their heads and cutting people's faces off, which is, which is a reference to Mark Spector cutting someone's face off. Oh, wow. Because he's, the, yeah, it was Bushman. It was like, this his, is going to be his, on Disney plus. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a question. <laughs> that's something I thought about too. Um, but she says, um, you know, you, it's, it's, it's like psychologically responsible to say that you have DID, but you have brain damage because you have essentially an extraterrestrial consciousness taking over your brain, mm-hmm. which was already not great to begin with. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> um, of turn that one up at 11. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I mean, how do you make a heroic 90-minute you know, superhero arc about that guy? Yeah. I think it's better suited for, I mean, Daredevil, beautiful example of what Marvel can do. With plenty of action, but also just really diving deep into who the character is. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we, learn, we know so much about Matt by the time that show's over. Oh, yeah. This podcast started with us doing episode-by-episode episode reviews of that first season. And it right. is, like you said, plenty of action to it. But it really dives deep into that character of Matt. Um, I think one of the things that Jude and I complimented a lot was how economical it was with its script and teaching you everything about Matt. It's so good. So hopefully we'll see that with Moon Knight and the Disney Plus show. Yeah. And I, it's fair to say that I don't know that I would be as confident about this show if Daredevil, you know, had not existed. You know, mm-hmm. that I knew that like there, you know, Feige and the people in Marvel TV know who to get to, to, you know, tell these stories for, for television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jeremy Slater, I love Umbrella Academy. And he was the guy who adapted that show. Mm-hmm. That comic. That's still on my to watch list. I've heard so many good things. I know I need to watch You'll, it. I, I I think I know you well enough to know that you will you will be giddy about it. It's, <laughs> it's just a it's a bundle of joy, man. It's there's a lot of love and a lot of whimsy and a lot of just play in that series. That it's interesting because you know what we've talked about Moon Knight so far. You know, he's, he's not a light whimsical character, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm curious to see what how Slater's sort of whimsicality bleeds through. I think another question that I have, you know, now that we've gotten to learn, you know, a lot about Moon Knight here, you know, how does he fit into that larger Marvel universe? Like is, you know, is he someone that would ever get along with the Avengers, interact with them? Or, you know, does he kind of stay away from that grouping? Because everything we've seen so far in the MCU has always led back to the Avengers you know, in this next saga or whatever they embark on, you know, that may not necessarily be the case where the Avengers is going to be like the marquee. But if it is, is, is Moon Knight somebody that plays well with them? Definitively not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, from what I've learned, it doesn't seem like he's much of a team player. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's a safe bet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he, he actually, he was a member of the West Coast Avengers. Uh-huh. Um, and he has a, he has a bond with Hawkeye, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's as far as like, you know, like a, like that would be his best friend on the Avengers. Like, you know, they've had fallings out and things, but they, there was a strong bond created between those two characters when he was in the West Coast Avengers. But even when he was in the West Coast Avengers, he was very much like Batman in the JLA. He was reluctant the entire time. 
Uh, although, unlike Batman, Batman could very easily take the mantle of leadership. I think this is also a, a good difference between the two. Mark Spector would never be chosen to lead anything. <laughs> it's, it's not reliable in that way. Uh-huh. Um, so, no, he doesn't play well with others, but he is occasionally sort of like cajoled or manipulated into groupings of different kinds. Except, I think, for Midnight Suns. Mm-hmm. And I think that, when we, we've got the Blade show coming... We've got, you know, a lot of people are talking about Mephisto being the villain in WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And Mephisto is sort of, you know, the Thanos of the supernatural realm. Mm-hmm. And I think, we, I think we're probably likely to see some kind of grouping come along, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they talked about, the, they said in Multiverse of Madness they're going to introduce a couple of new characters to the MCU that are comics characters. Um, and... If they if they're coming from the supernatural realm, which is the safe bet, um, one of those characters might be Elsa Bloodstone, mm-hmm. and you might know Elsa from uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I was just about to say that name sounds so familiar, and I think it is because of that Nintendo Switch Marvel Ultimate Alliance three. Yeah, because I know you played Ultimate Alliance. She's actually she's a great playable character in uh-huh. Marvel Alliance. Uh, she's in she's been around a while, and she is also a character from that world of the Marvel supernatural. She's a monster hunter and um, she fits into that realm with blade and, and the man thing and uh, Dr. Strange and Dracula, you know, who actually was a Marvel character and appeared in Marvel comic books as Dracula, which is not out of the realm of possibility that we may (laughs) see Dracula in the MCU. (laughs) It feels like the MCU is about to get a lot more wild with all these new shows. Like, I knew Blade was coming. I didn't know this supernatural element to Moon Knight other than than the, um, I think I had remembered a little bit about like the, the, the God interfere, the divine intervention, but I didn't know anything about the, uh, his enemies or antagonists being that sort of supernatural element too. It almost feels a lot more obvious that they're setting this up with that and Blade. Yeah, it is the kind of the perfect place to put him. And I don't think it's like the most obvious place. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there was like probably 10 years ago, if he had gotten a Netflix show, he would have been essentially another iteration of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they would have gotten into the DID stuff a little bit. But I think it still would have been very much like a street, le- street level, you know, Marvel punch thrower kind of a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that, right? Uh, at one point in my notes, I wrote down uh, Indiana Jones, or, uh, uh, DID afflicted Indiana Jones monster hunter. <laughs> <laughs> and then my answer to myself was like, yeah, I'd watch that. <laughs> and that, that might be what we get with Moon Knight. It's so hard to say because it is so far out and there's so little revealed so far. Right. I know we mentioned Oscar Isaac. That's still not hard confirmed yet because that was mysteriously left out from that Disney Day investor. Everything's oh, really? looking like it is going to be him, uh, but we haven't had full confirmation. So it's it's a far ways away before we get anything substantial, I think. It is on his IMDb, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, those those slip away too. Yeah. But yeah, and I honestly think it'll be like this, the discussion about the Marvel supernatural realm will be a lot easier to have after WandaVision. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have to have you back on uh, for sure because I want you back on, you know, with Jude. I would love to see y'all go back at it with comic book knowledge. But, you know, <laughs> WandaVision's most likely going to 
open up a lot more for discussion. So maybe we'll get some uh, Moon Knight hits there. I'm psyched. I'm a big fan of the supernatural Marvel universe. You know, mm-hmm. Some of it is hokey. You know, man thing is an obvious swamp thing. <laughs> um but there's you know dracula is questionable like how do you fit you know dracula into the marvel universe credibly you know the the first thing that i think of whenever i think about dracula potentially coming to the mcu is how does peter parker interact with dracula like how would he <laughs> even if it doesn't happen on screen how does he go about knowing dracula is real in his universe right uh, there's got to be some great jokes there <laughs> <laughs> or ned, like even having ned like geek out about it wait who Ned, Peter's friend. Oh, his buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even Mephisto is going to be a cool reveal if they do him right. And it, you know, in the comics, he's a red, you know, devil-looking character. So it's going to be interesting to see even just how they visually represent him. Mm-hmm. But I think making him like the serious, you know, like the really like a, a serious villain, like seriously the Thanos of the supernatural world. Um, and then using him to unite these different characters is a cool thing and something that I'd absolutely be there for. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've we've touched on it a little bit as you've been detailing this character, but just maybe kind of as a way to draw it all together. You know, the reason why I, I brought you on is because you told me that you were super excited about Moon Knight. What is it about the character that drew you to him uh, that first brought you into being a fan of him? I um. I think I first, so I think I first discovered him in a Daredevil comic mm-hmm. and he's, he did a team up with Daredevil, which is a, I think it's a notoriously bad comic. Like, <laughs> the story is that the writer didn't want any more Daredevil like crossovers. So he intentionally wrote it badly. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And some of that was like the, Doug, Doug, and I don't know if it was Doug Mank, but he's gone on record saying that he thinks Moon Knight belongs in the supernatural canon. And should stay there. He didn't want to see Moon Knight join the Avengers or duo with Spider-Man or Daredevil. He he really wanted him to be with uh, Werewolf by Night mm-hmm. in in that Marvel Supernatural canon. So I think that was the first time. I, but that's you know he's not supernatural in that. He's very much just you know a, a buddy that he and Daredevil have. I think they you know they they do the team up thing where they fight and then they join together to fight somebody else. But I probably just as a kid, like the suit appealed to me first because mm-hmm. it's a very cool design for a suit. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, uh, it's supposed to be a silver suit. Oh, wow. Even though it's like everybody says it's white now, including the writers. You know, one of one of the gags about him you know, in recent times is that he wears white because he wants to his enemies to see him coming. Oh, wow. Right? That's a cool statement <laughs> it's a cool flip on batman too it's another one of those things that differentiates him from batman so mm-hmm. batman's whole thing is staying in the shadows moon knight hunts at night you know because he's he's a, one of the aspects of Konshu that he is supposed to kind of uh, in, uh, in, uh incarnate is the defender of travelers at night it's actually like from egyptian mythology it's what this god one of the aspects this god represents mm-hmm so he is a night hunter like Batman, but like he's, he doesn't hide. And that's interesting. But the suit was initially made to be silver as because he was going to be fighting a werewolf. Ah, oh, it and all his, comes back uh, to that supernatural tie. That's cool. Yeah, and his weapons are all made of silver. You know. um, I kind of doubt we'll see a white suit on Oscar Isaac <laughs> <laughs> or um, a silver suit. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, I expect we will probably see the cowl, which was a is pretty iconic. Mm-hmm. That hood just looks good with the white, you know, the shadow coming over the white face and stuff. But then I read, uh, I read um, the 2006 series, the Charlie Houston series, um, and that was when I first kind of picked up about his multiple personalities. And then like Warren Ellis treated it in a really cool way and gave him another personality actually called Mr. Knight, where he's like a police consultant who wears a white business suit and like a white sort of a pullover Rorschach type mask Mm -hmm. uh, where he like detectives from the, the police department call him about special cases and he comes in and consults and like hunts down like serial killers. It's a very procedural depiction of Moon Knight. And it's a yet another inventive personality from Mark Spector. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we might see that it's, it's a common, it's like it was the suit being super iconic. And then I'm always fascinated by the Marvel characters with like the most flaws. That's why Daredevil is my favorite Marvel character Mm -hmm. because it's almost unlikely that he would be a superhero. You know, even setting aside the fact that he's a Catholic and a lawyer, you know, both things that would like be counter to vigilantism. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he goes out at night and beats people up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, that dichotomy and that kind of like clear question uh-huh. at the heart of a character is sort of the, is what appeals to me. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's, you know, all good story is centered around conflict. And when you have that within the character itself, that just makes compelling characters. And I can totally see that with Moon Knight as well. Yeah. It's one reason why my favorite Batman is still Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there are there are Bruce Wayne segments in the, the original Tim Burton Batman where you look at Michael Keaton and you just go, that guy should not be wearing a mask. <laughs> dispensing justice. Like, you know, he's, he, he can't even keep his stuff together at a cocktail party. <laughs> uh, and the, those are the characters that fascinate me. You know, the, mm-hmm. the sort of you know, a character that is very easily defined as a hero is great. And I do love those characters and I love the consistency that comes with those characters. And I was telling you earlier, I'm starting playing Miles Morales and you know, I've read enough about Miles and I know enough about Spider-Man to just know that it's going to be, you know, there's going to be some conflict and some dark notes, but that is ultimately going to be a, a hopeful, uplifting, you know, joyful kind of representation of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. But I'd like, I also just like the really troubled characters. I like the, I like the fact that they can both exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm. To me, that's Stanley. It really is Stanley making sure that every, you know, all of his characters, and then teaching the writers that came after him that the, when they were creating, you know, these um, secret identities, you know, for these costume heroes, that like that was the important bit. You know, who's the guy at the, who is the secret identity and why are they doing this crazy thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, and I love DC for different reasons, but to me, DC has always very much been stories of gods and goddesses. They've been closer to story like myths than they have been, you know, uh, street tales of, you know, down on their luck, sort of like noir or um, pulp you know, stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, yeah, that's, to me, that's Stan Lee's influence really. Mm-hmm. Is reaching through all of the MCU. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Spider-Man is the most iconic, not just Marvel hero, but superhero. And I think it is touching on what you said, 
that it relates to who the person behind the mask is and focuses in on that as much as the superhero person itself. So I can see how that has been a defining trait for a lot of these Marvel characters. I think you're right. And I think it's the reason that these films endure, that they're still good after they've already put out so many. You know, uh-huh. they've, They have um, beat the odds as far as the fatigue of the concept. Mm-hmm. Because, like we talked about, you know, well, all right, we've shown them a, you know, a, a, a heist movie, you know, so what's this next thing going to be? We've shown them a, a religious character study, you know, with Daredevil, you know, uh, how do we present this character as a different, not only a different sort of character, but a different sort of look at the Marvel Universe, you know, mm-hmm. a different vantage point on the Marvel Universe. And I, it's, it's the combination of those two things that somehow, like miraculously, we are still getting amazing MCU films <laughs> this far down the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a fanboy. I, it's, I always say it, it's brilliant, but it's because like not each entry is perfect, but overall what they have done is, mm-hmm. is d- dang near. It's amazing. It's a, it's a gift <laughs> for, for all of us, you know kids that have lived with these characters and have loved genre and this kind of storytelling since we were babies. Mm-hmm. It's just like an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> so bringing it back to Moon Knight, is there any specific comic runs of Moon Knight that you would suggest reading for anybody that would want to get into the character before the Disney Plus show? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it sort of depends on what your tastes are. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about Moon Knight, sort of his identity being a little fluid under these different writers, is there are fairly different depictions of him that can you know, cater to different tastes. I think if you if you like Punisher, I would recommend the Charlie Houston run, the 2006 mm-hmm. run, because it really is it's brutal. It's some of the darkest places. That's where the face carving happens. <laughs> uh, so some of the darkest moments in MCU, I think, have happened in that book. Um, but if you want to go, if you want to look at him as sort of a procedural crime fighter, I'd recommend Warren Ellis's run. Uh, and then for me, the, my favorite run so far is the most recent uh, solo run, I think, uh, is by Jeff Lemire. It's just an absolutely brilliant writer, one of my favorite writers, period. Um, and that is just about he wakes up in an in insane asylum. And has to kind of determine what is real from start to finish. And it covers his origin and it covers, you know, the mystical versus the psychological. But it kind of all takes place, uh, may or may not all take place in his mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that one is like um, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, with sort of a, a really interesting superhero in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it has space werewolves too, so it goes to like souls. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if only I'd known I had you, space werewolves. Start with that. So it'd have been a lot shorter podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hi, I'm Trey. Hi, I'm JB. What's Moon Knight going to be about? Space werewolves. All right, thank we'd like to thank Nick us. Sandy for. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's it, the the Myron is is I think really strongly written, and it, it it has as much fun with the character as it does seriously look at like a troubled dude. Well, cool. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for those suggestions. That'd be awesome. On the on that very happy note. 
<laughs> of troubled dude. Let's do the outro. Well, I do believe that's going to wrap it up for our Who is Moon Knight. But of course, we cannot end without our question of the week. So, uh, JB, if you could have one prop from the moon. I'm going to start that over. <laughs> <laughs> one prop from the moon. Well, <laughs> um, well, dang it. Now it's going to have to stay in. <laughs> <laughs> the unspoken I didn't realize rule. I was doing that, but now I don't. The unspoken rule on our podcast. If you can make it funny, it has to stay. <laughs> <laughs> I made you laugh and then I completely forgot we're supposed to be professional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you could have one prop from any of the movies, which would you choose? Man, that is tough. I know, right? And I, I read it and I thought I've thought about it like for the past 48 hours. <laughs> and there's I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I I, I kinda I'm gonna go like a little bit whimsical. Like I could probably nail down what my absolute favorite prop was if I thought about it for a really long time. <laughs> um but I'm gonna go with Peter Quill's cassette deck. Oh, that would the be Walkman. amazing. Just because it's like there's so much story Mm -hmm. in that one little you know prop and it's it's character story too and i guess like you know if you got the infinity gauntlet you've got a ton of sort of narrative there well in peter's uh, walkman it's kind of like peter's soul yeah Uh, and that that uh my mom was a musician Mm -hmm. and uh we music has been a way that we have bonded my whole life so that moment in guardians of he and his mom you know listening to music together and her sort of like bestowing a gift of music on him is something that I relate to really deeply. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe my most personally touching scene in all of the MCU that, that scene. So yeah, I, I think I would pick up the Walkman. Man, that that's such a great choice. Um, my <laughs> Mine's a lot more boring in comparison. I, <laughs> <laughs> I want kept shield. Like I, I know I, you do. <laughs> I think anybody could have seen this one coming a mile away, but <laughs> I I go back and forth to try and not be that boring, which it's not saying much, but either like having like a whole shield that they used or having that broken shield that they used in Endgame. Just because, you know, I, I've talked about it before, like the everything with that portal scene, like even from the music is that refutation of the idea that you're alone. And so even though that Steve was like perfectly, you know, willing to stand up to Thanos's army and that was going to be it, like having every like that's that broken shield symbolizes that moment forever for me. And I think that'd be cool to have as like just a thing to look at and remember. I totally feel that there's a lot there's a lot of emotional weight in the crack shield. for sure. Right. I I feel like you like for the whole shield, you know, you feel like Cap when you hold it. uh Uh-huh. But I, but like, yeah, you you hold that crack shield, and you feel, you know, the entire story. Yeah, it's it's the embodiment of resilience. Yeah, yeah, he is that guy. He is mm-hmm. the embodiment of resilience. Mm-hmm. It's in selflessness. That to me is Captain America. Yeah, man, you're making me all Literally. emotional now. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the guy that would put like everyone before himself. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, Cap is again. It's like you know he's. He's a million miles from Mark Spector, but I, I love them both dearly. Mm-hmm. And then they are both very human characters. To me. Cool. This, this cinematic universe. Hubba hubba. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I just, <laughs> and somehow <laughs> it makes like, me happy. 
Until you questioned it, I totally was on board and felt it. And I don't know if I could explain what it means, but I felt it as well. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think this is going to do it. If you'd like to answer our question of the week about which prop you'd like to own, or if you have any thoughts on Moon Knight, uh, you can always reach us at know at Twitter and Instagram. And again, JB, thank you so much for jumping on and, and helping guide us through this character. This has been super, super insightful. It's been my, an absolute pleasure just mm-hmm. to, to get to talk nerd stuff with you, uh, but also to be a part of this podcast, which is you and Judah just are just really cranking out a powerful, awesome, consistently <laughs> entertaining and uplifting um, broadcast. I, I'm just I'm really into it. I appreciate that, man. And I can already tell, like, one, we're definitely going to have to have you back on for sure because I, I know you would love going back and forth the comic knowledge. And then two, yeah, I'm it. pretty sure you just became, you know, real good friends with you just on that Michael Keaton Batman drop alone. Because <laughs> I know that's one of his favorite Batmans, too. And actually, as a quick aside, I know you'll appreciate this. One of my favorite moments I think that I've had recent years with Jude is we were at a Christmas party with family and we were playing that game where you would have like some some prompt on your forehead and then two other oh, yeah. people would try and like describe it without the word. And so me and Jude were, were the people describing the word and our clue was Michael Keaton. And without missing a beat at the same time, he goes Batman, I go Vulture, and we just kind of like look at each other for a second. <laughs> and then it was just kind of like this gap between our like movie comic book knowledge. <laughs> I love that. But, yeah. And that's also a testimony of just how awesome Michael Keaton is. That too, yeah. <laughs> All that to say, thank you. You will definitely, the invitation's always open if you'd like to come back. It's been a pleasure, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And if you're listening and want to follow more, uh, you can always find JB on Twitter at JB Fancy Space Hug or Instagram at JB Loves AV. Yeah, take a keep an eye on those socials. And I would never, ever say that, <laughs> <laughs> except that uh, I am working on a, a little uh, filmic project with some very talented actor friends. And it's a superhero related thing. And it's going to be fun and funny. And uh, we should be able to start promoting it. Uh, very soon. Yeah, that'll be Sorry awesome. I'm really, really excited. That'll be cool. All right. Um, if you haven't already, uh, if you'd like to give this show a star rating or review, we'd greatly appreciate it. It helps uh, promote this podcast through the platforms. And of course, we'd like to give a special shout out to Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on the SoundCloud, which is linked in the description. Woo-hoo. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And JB, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. It's been amazing. We will see you all next week. Well, if it's before we actually start, that's fine. You can. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like when we start recording, I, I promise I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> you know, it's it's if you've listened from the beginning you can see that was something that I was adjusting to. Uh, I don't like Jude and I never said it was a hard rule that we wouldn't curse, but I think after realizing that his kids were listening to it and then potential Mm. other families listening to it, like I tried to course correct, which was so hard at the very beginning. (laughs) Yeah. I can imagine. (laughs) Well, I work in customer service, so I can, I feel like I can turn it off pretty easy. Okay, cool. Um, but I, but I would say like, I think it works though because the, the show is very light and very optimistic.
And I, uh, that. I think that's a strength. You know what I mean? I think there's, you know, the, um, you know, the default internet attitude is cynical. Yeah. So, um, and there's like none of that, you know, even when uh, you guys, well, have you listened things, to our Iron Man two review? <laughs> no, I didn't get to that one. I was about to say though, like, even when you talk about things you don't like about, you know, the universe, I feel like you always bring it back to the positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all right to point that stuff out. Perfect. <laughs> um, so on the outro, I had put JB social plugs. I have your Twitter and your, your Instagram. Is there anything else you'd like to plug or any of those you would rather not plug? Uh, I just want to make sure I get your permission first. Uh, no, that's okay. I, 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 I've, uh... Interesting question. Oh, Siri. <laughs> Let's go ahead. Thank and you, Siri. <laughs> Siri's already a fan of the JB co-host. Uh, <laughs> 